So if you've got your Bibles this morning, let's go to the book of 1 Samuel. The book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16. We're going to read a, a passage of Scripture and, and talk about some folks that you, you know about and maybe some folks that you haven't put a whole lot of thought into in your Bible. 1 Samuel, chapter 16. We're going to start our reading in verse number 1. If you would please stand to honor the reading of God's Word. 1 Samuel, chapter 16. Verse number 1 says this, it says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long without mourn for Saul, saying, I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did as the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here this morning. And God, as we continue into the Word, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would continue, God, to have His way in this service. Lord, I pray that you would use me as your vessel. God, move me out of the way and let me only preach the words you would have me to preach. And God, I just pray that you would walk the aisles this morning, God, and that, that people that need to hear this message, God, that, that it would penetrate their heart. And Lord, that it would go deep down. And, and not only would it penetrate their heart, but God, that, that people would, would choose to do something about it if it touches them. God, we praise you, Lord, and we thank you because you're the only one worthy of praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Israel is in an awkward time here because this is if in the timeline of the Bible, and, and I'm going to give you a history of the Old Testament really quick up to here. It won't take but about 15 seconds. God had always dealt with Israel through a man most of the time. He, he started with Noah and, and, and saved the world from the flood and, or saved the eight people from the flood and destroyed the world. And then he moved on to Abraham and we know how the, the tribes of Israel eventually came out of, out of the lineage of Abraham. And then Moses took over and, and, and after Moses died, then Joshua and then there were a few other guys and then the time of the Judges. And everybody's read the book of Judges, right? And actually, if you read the book of Judges, you, probably the most famous story you know out of that is the story of Samson and Delilah. Everybody's heard that story and how that God used Samson to judge Israel and if people had a problem they would bring it to him and then all of a sudden one day Israel decided to get this idea. They looked around and they said you know what? They said every other nation in the world has a king except us. 
Now, was that true? Absolutely not, that wasn't true. They may not have had a physical king that sat on a throne and ruled over him, but, but I would like to submit to you today that God was their king. And God is, was sitting on the throne then. He is still sitting on the throne today, and he is still the king of kings. Amen? And, and so that's, that's what they said. But they looked around and they said, hey, everybody has got a king but us. And so what do we do? And so they, they, they said, you know, they didn't stop and say, hey, let's think about this. They said, hey, prophet, we need a king. So they went to the, they went to the priest and the prophet, and they said, hey, appoint us a king. And so the king, he asked God, and he said, okay, if you want a king, I'll give you a king. You know this, that sometimes when you ask God for what you don't need, he'll give it to you. Sometimes you'll ask God, you'll say, God, I need this promotion at work, or, or God, I need this new vehicle, or I need this new home, or, or God, I, I, I need this, this whatever it is, what they just, just fill in the blank right there. And sometimes, I, I don't know, some people say God don't have a sense of humor, but sometimes I feel like he almost does. Because sometimes you'll ask for something you don't need, and God will give it to you, and then you will quickly find out that it was a mistake. That you were better off in, the, in whatever condition that you were before, in whatever shape that you were. And that's how Israel found their self. Oh, they found a mighty man. And I'm going to read you a verse. And, and they, they asked for a king. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse number 2, they selected a man named Saul. It says this, And he had a son named Saul, whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly one. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward he was higher than any of the people. And so Samuel had, had chosen this. He had laid it out to the Lord and the Lord gave him away. And, and Saul was chosen as king of Israel. And it said that he was a good person, said he was a, a goodlier guy. Nobody was goodlier than he was. That's how the Bible put it. But then the only other qualifying attribute that he had to be the king of Israel, you know what it was? He was tall. Boy, isn't that a good way to pick a king? Yeah, just, just line everybody up and say, all right, you're good, you're good, but, but you're goodlier. Oh, you're better than him. So y'all step forward. Oh, wait, now we'll get the tallest one in here. And so they chose the tall guy. They, that, that's all that he really had going for him according to, to, to 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse number 2. Is that how his tall Saul was chosen? Now, would, would you think that we need to do that? That the children of Israel needed to do that? They should have just let God sit on the throne and be their God. But they said, no, we want to be like everybody else. And so they chose this king. And so Saul begins his reign. And Israel goes to war pretty much immediately. I mean, just, just you turn the, the page to chapter 10, and they start going to war in chapter 11 and 12. And Saul, he's actually doing pretty good, and, and he's winning military victories left and right. And it was because he was a good soldier. He was a strong man. He was, he was a good leader, and people looked up to him until finally God told him to do something, and he did not do it. He went against God's orders. See, God honored that king for a while. God used him. God said, well, these are my people and I'm going to make the best out of a bad situation until Saul turned his back on God. And then we get to 1 Samuel chapter number 16. And God rejects Saul. And God said, Saul, if you're not going to do what I say, then we're going to move forward. Samuel gets this word and he begins to mourn. 
he looks and he says, hey, we just got this guy and now we've got to get another one. He says, what do I do, God? And God tells him, you go to Jesse's house. You go down to Bethlehem. Now, now is there another person that you can think of in the Bible named, that was born in Bethlehem? I think that was Jesus himself. And there's a lot of parallels between the life of David and the life of Jesus. And so he goes down there and he goes to Jesse's house. And, and this time, they're going to let God do the choosing. See, before the people had a hand in it, the people picked him because he was tall. Maybe he was, he was good in, in, in every other way, but yet God did not choose this man. And so he goes down to Jesse's house and he says, Jesse, line your sons up for me. And Jesse had several sons. I believe he had about six or seven in total. And Jesse, when this came, Jesse, could you imagine the news coming to your house today the, the 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 whoever shows up the election commission or somebody in a high place shows up and says hey we're going to choose one of your kids to be the leader of Israel I don't know about you but but my heart would probably swell with pride wouldn't it well you'd probably pull your britches up and say you know what I must have done a pretty good job raising my kids if they want one of mine would you do that I mean I would wouldn't you Cecil you would don't, don't y'all sit here and act like you all self-righteous on me and so he went down there and he asked, and, and Jesse said, you know what, you, you're not going to have to look any further than my firstborn. And he might have hollered into the house and said, Eliab, come on in here. He said, we got something for you to do. And, and Eliab walked in there, and Samuel looked at him, and he said these words. He actually, he looked at him, and he said, and it came to pass in verse number 6, when they were come, and he looked on Eliab and said, surely... Without a doubt, I can guarantee that the Lord's anointed is before me. This has got to be him. This, this is a guy that, that, that this, he's the firstborn. And I don't know if you know much about the Bible, but, but to God, the firstborn means a lot in the Bible and in the Old Testament, and the firstborn son. And so surely this would be the guy that God wanted. And Samuel knew that. Samuel knew that he was the oldest, and he walked in the house, and he said, hey, this has got to be him. But it said, God said, no, this is not him. And Samuel's heart probably sunk just for a minute. But then God quickly gave an explanation. He said in verse number 7, and here's the message right here. He said, and the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature. Now you remember this, what were the qualifying attributes of Saul? He was tall. So was Eliab. It says that, that maybe he was even good looking. It said that don't look on his countenance. Don't look at, at how handsome he is. He goes on to say, because I have refused him. And I'm glad for this next part of the Bible right here. I'm glad for these next words. He says, for the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. Because if the Lord saw as we saw, we would probably be in trouble. You know why? Because, because when I look at people, and, and I, I, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you, I look at people, and, and when you look at people, what do you generally do? I mean, just, just be real. Don't you kind of make an assessment of them? 
Especially when you meet somebody new, you, you kind of start sizing them up, don't you? I'm not talking about sizing them up to fight them. I'm talking about you just, you just kind of, well, you want to figure out who they are and what they're about and, and what kind of character they have and all of this. And most of the time, that's about as far as we see. But it says that, that we look on the outward appearance, but God or the Lord looks on the heart. And, and as, as I studied this this week, this, this idea came to me that a lot of times we misjudge people. In fact, I would say that we misjudge people who they really are more often than not, wouldn't you? How many of you had, have ever had, have had to apply for a new job anywhere? I mean, some, and, and here's my least favorite part is they give you an application, right? And, and they ask for your name and your address and your social security number and your phone number and they ask for your firstborn child and all this stuff. And, and then I've had an application or two that, that says describe your best attributes. Anybody ever seen that? Or somebody asking an interview, what, what's, your, what's, what's good about you? Now how do you write that down without sounding like a total jerk? I mean, really, well, what do you say? Well, maybe if a lab, if, if, if Samuel would have handed him an application and said, Elab, what do you have going for you? Well, I'm tall, and I'm good looking. What, what more do you need in a king? Isn't that good enough? And Samuel said, well, yeah, you must be the one. But God said, no, he's not the one. And then let's say you, you get that job. And they, they accept that application. And then the next thing they want to do is they want to do a background check on you. And you know, for, and for our nursery workers here, for our youth workers, I don't some of you may or may not know this, we do a background check on people. And I think we ought to, don't you? We do. I mean, if, if you're going to work with our kids, we're going to know as much as we can about you. But you know, that only goes so far. I mean, I can, I can turn your name into whoever we use. I don't know who it is and type in all this information and, and they're going to they're gonna look at all the arrest records and see if you've ever been arrested. And if you have, they're going to tell us what you're arrested for. So if anybody, I mean, if you, if you don't want us to know something, tell us before you fill the background out, okay? I'm just going to throw that out there right now. That, that's just a free piece of information. But then you get the background check back and, and you look at it and you think, hey, this checks out. This person, hey, they've, they've got to be the right one for the job. And you can ask them all kinds of questions. But at the end of the day, you know what you've got? You've got the outward man and that's it. You've got what that person wants you to know and nothing more. You know what we're good at doing? Sometimes we're good at withholding information about ourselves. We're good at withholding things from other people. We're not really as transparent as we would like people to think that we are. Amen? Sometimes, and, and there are things maybe in your heart from the past that you don't need to tell people. And it really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether I know it or not. But God knows. God knows. God knows our heart better than anything. 
And so you ask, and, and I'll get to, get to the one that was chosen a little later. Actually, let's, let's just go ahead and read down. Let's go to verse number 8. Read with me just a few verses. It says, Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him to pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. Jesse's running out of sons. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are, there, are, are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. Now in the Bible, if you're the youngest, you get the short end of the stick. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. You're the run of the family. You're going to, I mean, you're going to get the clothes that are hand-me-downs from hand-me-downs from hand-me-downs. Anybody ever got those? And if anybody's the youngest kid in the family, you know, back, back in the day, people had ten children, right? And, and if you were one of ten children and you were number seven or eight down the line, I mean, by the time stuff got to you, it was wore out. And so that's how, maybe that's how little David felt. You know, David, he got the jobs that nobody else really wanted. You, you think in the Bible that, that being a shepherd's a glorified job, right? David's out there, he's watching sheep. And we think, you know, we think about the, 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 the great shepherd Jesus and we think about how that all these shepherd references in the Bible, but really being a shepherd wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Uh, number one, sheep stink, amen? They're not very intelligent. You have to fight things to keep them protected, as you'll find out later. And so he's out there, and he's, just, he's out in the field doing the work, while his other brothers think one of us is going to be king. And so Jesse says, hey, my, my youngest is out there watching the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him. That's a country word, isn't it? Fetch that boy, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. And with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now you think back to the verses previous to this. You think back to verse number 7. What, what is God looking at? Again, Samuel gives us a description of what? What did he just give us a description of? Of David's outside appearance, didn't he? I mean, that's all we're still going on, really. I mean, we've already talked about how, how tall Eliab was and all the other brothers. And then we hear that David's got a fair countenance. He, well, he's good looking and he's ruddy. He's, he's young. And Samuel somehow says, hey, this is the one. God, God spoke from heaven and said, Samuel, anoint this boy to be king. Probably 13 or 14 years old, come in from the sheep pasture, probably still stinking, still, still going from the last night where he didn't sleep very good. And he's all of a sudden brought in and anointed the king of Israel. My, what a position to be in. We're still going off physical things. Remember, we're still going off outward appearances. But can I present to you this morning... Another section of Scripture that I believe opens up why God chose David and rejected the others. Turn your Bible over one chapter, just one chapter, to Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we find here that after David is anointed the king, that his brothers have to go to battle with the Philistines. 
And we all know this battle, and I, I'm not going to get into the battle too much. I'm not going to get too deep into that, because everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. And this is about to take place. But what takes place and what happens before the battle is very, very important. We see in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, just to, just to keep from reading too much, I'm going to read in verse 17. It says, And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of parched corn, and these ten loaves, and run to the camp of thy brethren. And carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. And so his dad sends him on an errand. Now, I, I don't know about you, but how would you feel if you're 13 or 14 years old and your dad sends you to the battle so far that, that this, could be the, this turns out to be the battle of the century, right? But he sends him in there and he takes these things and he does what his father says. He's just being a good son, isn't he? I believe a good son will do what their father says. Amen? If it's right, some of you, Cecil agrees. I, I, Andrew must have been a good kid is all I can say. But he's doing what his father told him and he goes to this battle. And he shows up and he sees Goliath across the valley, the valley of Elah. And Goliath is yelling out profanities. And he's cursing the name of God. And he's saying, hey, send somebody out here to fight me. And David shows up and he hears this. And in verse number 28, we have the one thing that we ever hear in the Bible that Eliab said. Remember, this is a man that, was, that Samuel thought was going to be the king. And I would say, this is just speculation, that when he was not chosen king, he was probably bitter. And this is what he says, And Eliab, his eldest brother, when he heard, when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. The only thing that Eliab ever says in the entire Bible is, David, what are you doing here? David, what have you done with daddy's sheep? I know your pride. I know why you're here. And, and you know what he starts doing? He starts making accusations that are not true towards David. He looks at David and he says that you just came down here to see what was going on and that was it. Didn't give David any time to explain that, hey, his father had sent him down there. He was on an errand from his dad and yet Eliab's anger was kindled. So I believe that one of the reasons that probably the main reason that God did not choose this man Eliab is he knew what his heart was really like. See, God looked into Eliab's heart and he saw probably what seemed to be a bad temper. Wouldn't you agree with that? His anger was kindled. That word kindled is indicative that a fire started. And that, that he maybe, maybe he had a fiery temper. And then he started making accusations. And, and he, it sounds to me like he started putting himself above David and said, Well, I'm a soldier down here fighting a battle and you're just a shepherd. What are you doing down here, David? He said David was prideful, but to me it sounded like Eliab was the prideful one there. 
that Eliab is the one that had the problem in his heart. And David, he doesn't, he doesn't give a, a big rebuttal or anything. Verse 29, and David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? I like David's response there. You know, when somebody, when somebody gets up in your face or somebody's yelling at you or somebody's anger is kindled against you, it's easy as a human being, I, none of y'all probably have ever done this, but I have. Where somebody has said something to me, and you know what I do? I immediately give it right back to them. Anybody ever done that? Some of you have. Some of you, some of you wives are looking at your husbands going, mm-hmm. I see one of them point like this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But we're quick to, to repay evil for evil, aren't we? But David's heart was not like that. David just looks at his brother and he says, What have I done to you? He said, Is there not a cause that I'm here? And he looked at his brother and he looked across that battlefield. And we all know the story, don't we? That David on the outside wasn't much. 13 or 14 years old went out there and, and, and brought down with the help of God the, the meanest man in the land. Brought him down and, and took his head off. You know why Eliab wasn't able to do that? Because Eliab surely was a better warrior than David. Or Shema, or, or even Saul, who is the king of Israel still at this point, the tallest man around next to Goliath. Why weren't they able to go and do that? Because they had it out here. They had the looks, they looked like they had it going on, but their heart was not in the right place. I'll tell you this morning that you may look like you've got it on the outside, but where's your heart? I'll ask you that question. I believe David's heart was for the Lord, don't you? David wrote in Psalm 108, verses 1 through 3, he says, Oh God, my heart is fixed on you. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. I will praise thee, O Lord, among that, the people and will sing praises unto thee among the nations. Now when David wrote that, he's talking about all these other nations. He's talking about the Philistine nation. He's talking about all these other people. And David, you know, when, when he stood up for God, you know what he was doing? He was bringing glory to God. He was, he, was, he was praising God, and it may have been through a battle. It may have been that he had to praise God with a sling and a stone, but he was going to praise God, amen, because his heart was fixed on God. Eliab might have been there at the battle, but was his heart there? No, it was not. Now, here's, here's the crux of the message. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Sometimes... We think about this, and, and, and I, I want to say this before I get into the other part, really, is a lot of times, you know what we do? When a preacher stands in a pulpit, like, like, just like I am right now, and I read a verse, like 1 Samuel 16, 7, that the Lord's looking on the heart, we automatically think, this is what our brain thinks. This is what we've been kind of been trained to think, is we begin to think about, about sin in the heart, Right? 
I mean, I preached on that maybe a couple of weeks ago about, about sin. And, and a lot of times there was, there's sin in the heart, like Eliab's heart. But see, sometimes it's not about what's, what's in your heart that shouldn't be. Now pay attention to this. This is, this is kind of hard for me to say. It's not what's in your heart that shouldn't be. Sometimes it's where your heart should be and it's not. See, there's, there's a lot of places that your heart should be in this world. And most of the time it's not. Got quiet, didn't it? Uh-oh. You know, sometimes we come to church and, and we're here. I mean, right here we are. Good number, probably 110 people in the church. Praise the Lord for that this morning. But how many of you, if I really was able to look at your heart, if I could just penetrate down into your heart, how many of you actually have your heart here? I'm not asking you to raise your hand, okay? Don't do that. But when, when and I believe we had good singing service this morning, don't you? How many of you, just, just, just ask yourself this, ask God to, to ask you this question. How many of you, when we were singing God's praises, how many of you had your heart in it? And how many of you didn't? It's a hard question, isn't it? We don't like to talk about stuff like that. But I believe it needs to be talked about. I'm going to tell you, if there's ever a time that we needed people's heart inside the church house, it's right now. I mean, I appreciate you being here. Don't get me wrong. I, I mean, come to church. Come to church. Can you say amen to that? But listen, when you come, bring your heart with you. Don't leave your heart in other things. Don't be thinking about other things. Hey, leave those things at the doorstep and focus on God. Eliab was sitting in the middle of the action. He was, he was with the children of Israel. He was where he was supposed to be. Did you know that? Eliab was, was in the battle. He, was, he didn't run off. He didn't get in the back. I mean, he was right there up front. And so was everybody else. I mean, the, the, the sons of Dave or the sons of Jesse, they were all just lined up there. Saul, he's, he's there, and he's where he's supposed to be. But listen, none of their hearts were there. They were scared out of their mind. And their heart wasn't in it. And then this little shepherd boy shows up. And he, he didn't have it out here. He didn't have it on the outside. He didn't look like a warrior. But guess where his heart was? It was placed, his faith was placed in God. His heart was in the right place. And God used him in a mighty way. Uh, spoiler alert, God always wins. Amen? God's going to win. And guess what? Sometimes, get this. This is, and I'm not trying to, 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 to make you prideful or anything, but sometimes God will even win through you. I mean, God, will, God can use you this morning. God can use you. But then you think about the flip side of it. And, and I've, I've kind of, I kind of talk about this just in passing sometimes, but I'll focus on it, is sometimes... You know, you have the people that don't have it fleshly, but they have it in their heart. 
and, and I'll give you an example of that. This, this morning I was, I was going into the prayer room and my phone rung and I answered it. And uh, it was Bill Harrison. And, uh, and a lot of you know Bill Harrison's in the nursing home, right? And he's, he's had fallen so many times. And just to be honest with you, now just to tell you the truth, when I looked at my phone, I thought the worst. I mean, if an elderly guy in the nursing home calls you that's got an elderly wife that's got health problems herself, as a pastor, your heart kind of sinks. And you, you think, oh no, something's happened to Bill or something's happened to Anna. And so I answered the phone expecting the worst. And, and I said, hello. And he said, Brother Seth. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, the first thing out of his mouth, he said, I just want to tell you that I'm praying for the service this morning. He said that, that I hope somebody gets saved this morning. He said, I'm praying for you while you preach this morning. He didn't call me to tell me that, that his, he's still having health problems. and Oh, woe is me, I'm in the nursing home. He didn't ask me to pray for him. Did you know that? When, when we got off the phone, he didn't even say, Brother, will you pray for me? He said, I'm praying for you. Now you talk about, the, and, and I didn't really have a good example. I didn't have a good illustration for this until prayer this morning. I thought, how am I going to explain this to people? Listen, that man is, is in the nursing home and he's incapacitated. He can barely walk. But guess what? His heart is where it needs to be. I don't, wanna, I don't like calling people out in the service, but Brother Albert's sitting here. Uh, Brother, I hope you don't mind. I believe Cecil told this morning that Brother Albert had a fall. Uh, I think him and Fannie Mae was playing basketball or something. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to make you laugh, Brother. <laughs> and, and he had a fall and, and he cracked three of his ribs. Well, if I crack three of my ribs, I'm probably going to be sitting in my recliner with ice on it, not doing anything. You know where Albert is? Right there, front and center, where Albert is supposed to be. Oh, when Albert's not there, I get worried sometimes. And, and I hope he don't mind me telling this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell it anyways. And he came to my office one day. Albert comes and walks. And I wish I could walk as much as Brother Albert. And he came into my office one day and he sat down and he looked at me in the eye. And he said, he said, preacher, he said, I can't do a whole lot for you. You remember saying that, brother? He said, he said, I, he said I'm, I'm kind of older and he said, there's not a whole lot I can do. He said, but I'll pray for you. I'll tell you what, I'd like to have a hundred Alberts sometimes. I'd like to have a hundred Bill Harrisons sometimes. You may not can do a lot for God, and, and sometimes, you know, as a, as a pastor, I'm guilty of, of overlooking people that do things. You know, we, we tend, the, the, the spotlight tends to be, and, and, and not saying this in a bad way, but generally the focus in a church is on the stage, right? I mean, y'all are all sitting facing the stage. Just face it. And people see the preacher, they see the song leader, they see the musicians, they, they see the deacons, they, they kind of see a lot of things. But did you know that there are people that are out here working behind the scenes that we don't even notice? 
people that are doing things for God and I don't mean to because but I overlook them you know why because a lot of times we're looking on the outside for people to do things you know we like it when people do things on the outside and they do things for us or they they do something for the church physically and and we we, we appreciate that as a church but let me say this to you. Maybe, maybe this will encourage some of you folks that, that used to be able to do things that, that are not able to do as much. I mean, some of you folks have told me that, that I was able to do more before and I'm not able to do as much as I, I, I was used to be able to do. But let me say this to you. God has not overlooked that. And God knows where your heart is. You might not be able to do much. That's okay. We'll take care of it for you. But God knows exactly where your heart is. And God knows that your heart is still in the battle. God knows that your heart is still for Him. Your heart is in the right place. And I commend people for that. Bill didn't have to call me this morning, but I'm glad he did. Albert didn't have to tell me that, but I'm glad he did. And I'm glad that, that God still has some people that love Him. And some people whose heart is where it is supposed to be. Sure, there are going to be things that, that get in our hearts, okay? Even the, the best people in the world the, whose heart is in the right place, sin is going to get in there sometimes. You have to understand that. You have to accept that, and you have to ask God to forgive you of your sin. That, that's, a, that's a step we don't need, to, don't need to skip over right there, is that you need to get the sin out of your heart. Amen? But at the end of the day, where is your heart? Is, is it where it's supposed to be? Is, is your heart, is it, in, is it in God's Word? I'll tell you what I'm guilty of doing, and, and maybe, maybe we're just having a confessional this morning. I don't know. But what I've been guilty of doing is sometimes I pick up my Bible and, and I don't really have anything in mind and I just kind of drop it and wherever it opens, I just read a little bit and, and I say, okay, there, I've read my Bible today. Anybody ever done that besides me? No? Man, <laughs> shouldn't have told that, should I? <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Some of you raised your hands like this. You, you were down at hip level, but anyways... And I did a good thing, right? I mean, it's good to read your Bible. But you know where my heart was? It was somewhere else. It was mowing the yard or it was, it was, it was doing something else way off somewhere else. I, I would like to implore you this morning that when you come into God's house, and, and do this everywhere, but especially, please, when you come into God's house, make sure your heart's in the right place. You know what would do some good for some people? Probably do me some good, too. Is that before you even get to church, why don't you start praying? I mean, how many of you have busy mornings? Some of you are getting kids ready and some of you are fixing your hair and ironing your suits and, you know, making sure your ties are straight or, or, or eating breakfast, whatever it is. And Sunday mornings, just to be honest with you, especially when you've got to be here at 9 o'clock, can get kind of hectic, right? Any of you ever experienced that? 
and we show up and we get here and we sit down in the pew and we think, now I can relax. Shouldn't come to church to just relax, should you? I would, I would beg you. I'll tell you what I've started doing, and, and I'm not telling you this to, to try to brag or anything, but this is just something I heard a preacher tell me one time. He said, get your suit ready the night before so that way you don't have to worry about it on Sunday morning. Just go ahead and take care of it. That's one less thing you've got to deal with in the morning. And all we're doing on Saturday nights watching TV or eating or something anyways, right? Why don't you get up on Sunday morning and focus on God for a little while? Some of you do. Some, some of you have been doing that for years. And you pray and you do what you're supposed to. And guess what? It shows. Amen? I mean, some people, you can tell, you can just pretty much tell when you walk into the church, when somebody shakes your hand and looks you in the eye, you can tell whether they're in touch with God that morning or not. You can tell whether their heart's here or not. I believe if, if we could, you know, it's not about if we can have 150 or 200 next Sunday. Man, if we can get the 100 people that we've got here and get their hearts here, I believe we can do something. But God's looking at your heart. I can run a background check on you. I can do whatever. But at the end of the day, I don't know anybody in here like God does. I don't even know my own wife like God does. God knows my heart. And God knows your heart. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, I just pray that, Lord, your word has touched somebody this morning. Not that I've done anything, because Lord, I'm incapable. But God, I just pray that our hearts would, would be in the battle. God, that our hearts would be focused fully on you. Not just on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, but God, every day when we wake up. God, help us to make our decisions based upon what your will is. God, help us to do what you would have us to do. And Lord, I just pray that if, if somebody, Lord, was touched by the message, that they would, they would be courageous enough to step out and ask you to help them. Lord, I know we're, the, the government tells us we're supposed to stay, stay six feet apart, but God, there's plenty of room for people to pray this morning. And God, I just pray that you would have your way in this invitation. God, touch hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.